Good morning, church. Man, y'all sound good this morning. Y'all sound good. Please read with me from Psalm 131 this morning. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing opportunity we have today to be able to freely worship you, to be able to offer you our praises, to be able to praise your name to the masses. Father, we pray that you be with us this morning. Be with us as, uh, as Jaden brings the word. Father, may we take what he has to say. Father, work within us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm not preaching from back here. Trust. Not doing that. Well, good morning. Good morning. It is so good to see you all today. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jayton Ames. I am the youth pastor here. I have the honor to serve this church and to serve its students. Uh, my wife, Amy, and I, were, there she is. Amy waved to everybody. She's, she's on the spot now. My wife, Amy, and I uh, got to start working here back in March, and, I, and I'm just so glad that I get to be here. And in these few months that I've been here, I, I've figured everything out. Nothing surprises me about this church anymore. No, no, no secrets, nothing. Like, I get it. I'm kidding. I wish that was true. Um, but no, it, it really is. We're, we're honored to be here. And we're excited. And, and I'm especially honored today that I get to preach. That I get to open up God's word and share it with you. And share the truth of this God-breathed scripture that we get to freely take part in. And so some of you already know this, but our church is doing a summer of psalms. And, and many of you know this if you've been here for more than one summer, that we've actually been doing several summers of psalms. We've been doing these psalms for quite some time. And, and there's actually, as we were preparing for this, and as, as Chris called the pastors in, and he told us, like, hey, like, you guys are going to be preaching this summer. I want you to pick a Sunday and, and pick a psalm. And, and Chris has this master plan this actual document that has basically the next several years of sermons and plans and, and what we're going to be studying planned out. It goes all the way to the summer of 2028. Isn't that amazing? And just maybe a touch overwhelming and terrifying when you look at that. You're like, oh my gosh, Lord, I hope you've come back by then, but we'll see. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. I mean, yeah, come, come soon, Lord Jesus. It'd be amazing. Uh, but as I, was, as I was reading this list and Chris has told us, like, hey, pick a psalm. Um, there is this page that where we're looking at all these psalms and these things we're going to do that has a list, and it says Summer of Psalms, and then there's a big word that says not, N-O-T, as in do not choose from this list. And then there's several lines of just numbers, and those are psalms that have already been preached over in the Summer of Psalms. And there, there is a total of 35 psalms that have already been preached to this church. Isn't that, isn't that kind of cool and amazing that we've, we've done 35 of these psalms? And if you're a math lover and you know that there's 150 psalms, 35 of them have already been preached, that leaves Jayton, the youth pastor, 115 to choose from, which sounds like a lot. 
It's, when you hear that, you're like, that's plenty to choose from. That should be super easy. Yeah, you would think so. Uh, but as I was praying and preparing and studying and getting ready uh, to preach and, and figuring out what I thought God was calling me to do, every time I found a psalm that I was like, that, that's the one. That's what I want to do. I would go and check this master list, and it was taken. And I, this happened to me three or four times. I, like with Psalm 32, talking about forgiveness, I was like, oh, man, that'll be great. Well, it's, it's taken. All right, then I'll go two over to Psalm 34, talking about tasting and seeing how good the Lord is. Man, that'll preach. Yes, that will preach. Someone did preach that. Someone already did it. That's off limits. And so I was like, all right, well, let's go to the end of Psalms and work our way backwards. And I saw Psalm 145, which talks about the greatness of the Lord. And that's, oh, that'd be so fantastic. And much like my middle school crush, Samantha Dixon, that one was also taken. And so... That one was off limits. That one was not a choice that I got to do. And so finally, I was sitting over here in this section, and Pastor Chris was teaching out of Psalm 127, talking about family, and it was an amazing sermon. And like someone with undiagnosed ADHD, I was reading ahead, um, and I got to Psalm 131, and I, as I read this psalm, I was like, that's the one. Surely, Lord. This one hasn't been taken. I prayed. I said, Lord, please like, let, let, let that be available. So after the service, I like rushed to my laptop and I opened it up and I checked the master list and it was not in the not list. And so I was like, thank you, Lord. Finally, we get to do this psalm. And so we're going to be in Psalm 131 today. And I'm so excited to be able to open this up to you to, to see the truth that God's going to bring us through it. And so I'm going to ask first that you would join me in prayer and then we'll dive into this scripture. Father God, I thank you so much for this day, and God, I just, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth, God, that you so freely give to us, your, your love and the, the knowledge, God, that you have gifted us with revealing your will in your word. And so, Father, I pray that right now that you would hide me behind your glory, that you would hide me behind your cross. God, this is all yours. This is all about you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. So, Psalm 131, Ryan did an amazing job reading, reading it for us already, but I want to read it again, and so if you'll join me, I believe we'll also have the words up on the screen, and it says this, a song of ascents of David, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised too high, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quiet in my soul, like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. There it is. Just three verses. Three very powerful verses, though. They may, they may be few, but they are mighty. And this is a psalm written by David. And it's in these verses that were written by David where we see this representation of something, where we see this representation of how our soul should be before the Lord. I, I see this beautiful picture being painted of how you and I, all of us as believers, are meant to be in respect to a great, mighty, and powerful God. I mean, just look at these descriptions as we look back at verse 1. It says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised too high. This is the first thing that caught my eye, not just because it was 
the first part of the psalm, but it, because of the wording here, because this wording doesn't really reflect what many of us want, right? We, we love the idea of our hearts being lifted up, right? Like we love the idea of our eyes being raised up. And that, that's even biblical. There's biblical language that talks about God lifting our hearts and God raising up our eyes and us looking to Jesus. But what we have to realize here is there is a difference in that truth. There is a difference when it's for God and when it's for me. There is a difference between the posture of our hearts when we do these things. I love this phrasing because it's suggesting a person who is choosing to put their pride behind them, who is choosing to give up what they want, who recognizes their place in the face of an almighty God. So no, I am not lifting up my heart. No, my eyes are not raised too high. I am humbling myself before the Lord. I'm going and I'm willing to lower myself and put my own self-desires to the back burner for the sake of seeing this God as we talk about these songs of ascents, as we talk about these psalms that we sing when we make our way towards Jesus. David goes on in verse 1 and he says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, which is his way of saying, I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to have everything explained to me. God does not have to come before me and say, here's everything you need to know about me. Here's what I am. Here's all these things. It's him saying, God, you are so big and so mighty and so powerful. You are so great and so marvelous that I don't have to have you figured out all the way. How could I even hope to understand you completely? You're too great and too marvelous for my sinful self to be able to wrap my mind around you. That is how big and great you are, that even I, when I know you, when you know me perfectly, I may not have you all figured out all the way. And God is about this. God understands and knows that we don't have to have it all figured out. Look at Isaiah 45, verse 9. It says, Woe to him who strives with him who formed him. A pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who formed it, What are you making? Or your work has no handles. Who am I as a created being to look at the creator and say, Why did you do it that way? What's up with you? Like, why, why would you do that? Who am I as, as a clay pot to look at the potter and say, hey, I know it's your hands who formed me, but why didn't you do this? How come you weren't doing it this way? Or as God says to Job, and, and what I consider like one of the biggest mic drops ever, I love it. Job, this is God talking to Job in Job 38, 2 through 4. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. You little created man. Where were you when I was creating the world? Where were you when I breathed out the literal stars in the sky? Where were you when I formed you in your mother's womb? Well, there's the answer. You were being formed in your mother's womb by me. And you're going to look to me and question me. You're going to look to me and demand answers. Or my personal favorite in Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of his law. 
I'm going to read that one more time, just the first part. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Knowledge and God's will and his secrets are his to reveal. He decides what he shares with us. He is so great and so mighty, and he is the one who gives us what we already know. What we do know, what we're able to, to understand is a gift from him. And what a gift it is. What a gift it is to know the truth of how much he loves us. The truth of salvation. The truth that even though we're sinful and even though we're broken, that even though we are so messed up that God still loved us, he still sent his son to die for us, and we get to have that freedom. That is the secrets. That is the knowledge that God has already shared with us. And praise the Lord for that. So no, I don't occupy myself with things that are too great and too marvelous for me. I don't have to have all the answers because you are God and I am not. You are far too great and far too marvelous for me to sit here and demand that I get my way, that I get what I want rather than what you want. This first verse shows us how we're not to be, how our heart posture before God should be that of someone who lowers themselves and is humble and understands, man, God, you are so much greater than I am. And the second verse shows us how we should be. Let's look back at verse 2, and it says, But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Oh, man, I love this wording. This is what drew me in. This is what made me say, God, this is the psalm. This is the one. I have calmed and quieted my soul. I have made myself like a weaned child with its mother. I, my soul within me is like a child resting in the arms of its mother. And this imagery is beautiful. It is beautiful to think that our souls would be that of a child with its mom with its, in the arms of its mother. And church, we have, a, we have a ton of families in here. I don't think it's any secret that we have a lot of families with young children in this church. Many of you have probably had children or been around children, and you have probably been around babies who haven't been weaned off of their mother. And the main consistent thing about them is this. They're not quiet. They're, they're loud, and they're fussy, and they cry. And a baby who is hungry and doesn't know when its next meal is going to come is loud and fussy. My little brother was born when I was 18 years old. I was like, Dad, what are you doing? Are you, are you nuts? But my little brother was born when I, when I was 18 years old, and so I know firsthand how fussy and loud and needy babies can be. We have, we have young families in here. I know you get it. And there are times where my soul can be that way. Where when my soul is hungry and thirsty for sustenance, that it cries out, that I become like an unweaned child and I get loud and fussy and I cry out and I say, why can't I have this? Why can't I, I, why can't I eat? I need this to live. And we start demanding answers and we start demanding comfort when we, we become prideful like we see the warning against in verse 1 where, where we, we raise our hearts up and we raise our eyes up high and we begin demanding of God like you need to do this. And we think we can stand in his place and have the audacity to say, man, I'm number one priority. Me, it's me. I'm the priority here. I deserve answers. And we think that our knowledge and our money and our own strength and our own desires 
will save us. But church, we can't be that way. Yes, I know that your souls are hungry. I know that you desire satisfaction in this life. That when you feel empty, you try to find that thing that will fill it up. But church, there is only one thing that is going to satisfy your soul, and that is Jesus Christ. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me, is to say, just like a child is content to simply rest in the arms of its mother, I am content to just rest in the presence of my God. We are called by this psalm to quiet our souls, to slow down and humbly trust and rest in the Lord, to recognize that there is no better place for you or for me than in his presence. This psalm reminded me of some scripture in Luke where, where Jesus teaches this exact lesson, where Jesus shows us that this is so true, that we have to slow down, that we have to recognize that he's the best thing for us. And so if you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 10, I want to spend some time there. So while you, while you turn there, if you have your Bibles, here in the Gospel of Luke, we see Jesus coming into this village called Bethany. And in this village is this woman named Martha and her sister Mary. And when Jesus enters into the village, Martha invites Jesus into her home. And that's where we pick up in Luke chapter 10. And it says this in verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. So here we have Jesus and he, he's sitting in Martha's house and Martha's there with her sister Mary and it's in these two people, it's in Mary and Martha, that we see two different reactions to being in Jesus' presence. And, and the first we see is Martha. And Martha's response is to serve, is to get busy, start serving people. And I find, it, I find it really humorous because here's this woman with the Son of God sitting in her house. I mean, most people at least back then believed that this was a, a really good rabbi, a really good teacher, but who she had in her house, he wasn't just a really good rabbi, a really good teacher. She had this Messiah, the Son of God, sitting in her home, and her response is to serve, man. Prepare food, keep your guests entertained, cook, clean, get everything going. And she had this guy in her house that she was like, I'm, I'm getting to work. He's here, I'm going to serve my guests. And as scripture says, it says that she was distracted with much serving. So before we go any further, I want to step back for a minute. And, and kind of look at this through our own eyes. Look at this through a lens that would maybe help us understand Martha a little bit better. So I, I want us to use our imaginations. The youth pastor's preaching today, so you have to use your imagination. We're, we're going to talk about something. I want you to think about a celebrity that you love. Maybe, maybe it's a singer or a songwriter. Maybe it's an author. Maybe it's a fictional character. Maybe it's a, an actor. Just think of a celebrity that you love. And now imagine that they showed up to your house unannounced and were like, hey, I'd love to come in for dinner. I'd love to come in for dinner. I know all of you probably have a celebrity or someone like that that you're thinking of. For me, it would be Jim Carrey. 
It would be Jim Carrey. And I know, yes, the youth pastor picked Jim Carrey, classic, right? But I love Jim Carrey. I, I, I adore this guy. I love Dumb and Dumber. I love Liar Liar. I think The Grinch is the best Christmas movie ever made. And, and my students hate that. They hate that I say that. They'll fight me on it. I'll win because I'm a grown man. But I, <laughs> I love Jim Carrey. And if he showed up to my house, and he, he came in like he would as a little goofball, and said, I want Jayton, I want to eat dinner with you. I would become the best host there's ever been. I would vacuum. I would mop. I would clean. I would dust. Amy and I aren't sure if we own a duster, but you know we would figure it out. If Jim Carrey showed up to our house, I would become the best host ever. Mr. Carrey, would you, would you like some food? I'm diabetic. That's why we only have Diet Coke. Um, but if, if you need something else to drink, I'll go to the store. Oh, my kidneys? Sure, you can have one or both if you want them. I only need one. But I would become the best host ever if Jim Carrey showed up to my house. But now replace that. Replace that celebrity with Jesus. Because there, there's no one in this world that compares to him. Replace that celebrity with Jesus, the Son of God. That is who was sitting in Martha's house. So, of course, Martha responded with much serving. The Messiah was in her home. So I have a little grace for Martha. I have a little grace for Martha here as she served and why she got so busy and why she got so distracted. I understand why Martha wasn't behaving like someone who had quieted their soul. But we also see Mary. We also get to see what Mary was doing. And it says that she was just simply sitting at his feet and listening to his teachings. And Martha's not having it. Martha, Martha does not like this. It says that she's busy cleaning and serving and she's getting upset that Mary's not helping. I, I imagine this kind of passive-aggressive moment here where she's kind of like clanging dishes a little too loudly. She's giving Mary the side eye. Some of you have done this before. And she's walking in and she's like, oh, I'm just, there's so many people in the house. If only I had some help. And, and Mary's just not giving in. She's not taking it. She's just zoomed in on Jesus. She's just so focused on her Savior. And Martha finally gets fed up. And let's look back at verse 40 and see what she does. It says, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her then to help me. Martha tattles. Martha goes up to Jesus and tells him, Lord, hey, will you tell my sister to stop being a lazy bum and get up and help me? Will you tell her to get where she needs to be and help me with this serving? I'm doing this all by myself. And church, the thing is, in that culture back then, most people would have agreed with Martha. Most people would have said, yeah, Mary, you need to get up and get in your place. Because to be honest, the place at the feet of a teacher was reserved for men. Back then, society said only men can sit at the foot of a teacher and learn and grow and hear his teaching. Women, you need to be serving. Women, you need to be on the back burner. That's what society would have told Mary. And so when Martha came up and said, hey, she needs to get up and help me in the kitchen, everyone would have agreed. Everyone would have said, yeah. Mary, what are you doing? What do you think you're doing sitting at the feet of a teacher? And that's how everyone probably expected Jesus to respond to. But look at what he says. Verse 41, it says, But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. 
Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Martha says, Mary, you need to be over here where you belong. And Jesus cuts in and says, no, Martha, Mary's where she belongs. Mary shouldn't be where you are. You should be where Mary is. You should be at my feet. I'm the good portion. Jesus doesn't agree with Martha. He doesn't agree with where society says Mary should be. He says, no, I don't care what society says. The best place for you is with me. He tells Martha to slow down. Because look at how Martha's described in these verses. She's described as distracted, anxious, and troubled. She's distracted. And church, when you're distracted, that means that you aren't focused on the main thing. When you're distracted, that means your attention, your love, your affections are not where they should be. Man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was sitting in her house and teaching. She had the opportunity to be right where Mary was, to sit at the feet of the most perfect and powerful teacher, to sit at the feet of the one who would only allow her to sit at his feet. But she was distracted. Her soul was loud and fussy. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, which if Jesus says anything twice in a row, that means, hey, listen up. This is important. You need to hear this. It says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Church, the only thing in this entire world that is necessary for you to live and to be satisfied is Jesus Christ. The only thing we need before anything else, is relationship with him. That is what feeds your soul. That is who feeds your soul. He is the only one who can feed your soul. And Mary understood that. Mary saw the worth of sitting at his feet. And Jesus, is, Jesus commends her by saying, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. In this moment where Martha was so concerned about portions of food and all these portions going on, Jesus says, Martha, there's only one portion you need to be worried about, and that's me. I'm the good portion. I'm the one you need to be focused on. You know, if you're anything like me, you can read this and think like, man, come on, Martha, get it together. Like, how could you not realize who is in your home? How could you not see this? How could you miss God sitting in your living room. Man, church, there, there are times where I am just like Martha, where you and I can be just like Martha, distracted with the loud and fussiness of this world. There are times where we are like the child who has not been weaned, as we saw in Psalm 131, where we become distracted with the things in this world that we forget the whole point of why we do what we do. And that's to sit at his feet, to have fellowship with our God. So my question to you today is this, where are you sitting? Are you sitting at his feet or are you distracted? Is your soul quieted and weaned or is it loud and fussy like a baby? <laughs> are you so consumed with being busy and going and doing and being that you're missing the Messiah sitting right in front of you. Jesus describes this perfectly in Luke 
chapter 8. And in Luke chapter 8, he's describing his word and his truth as seeds. He's describing his word and his truth as seeds. And he talks about our hearts, how our hearts are the soil that he is going to plant his word and his truth in. And church, the effectiveness of his word taking root in our hearts depends on the soil. The effectiveness of his truth and words taking root in our hearts depends on the state of your heart. And I love this description. I love how he describes this uh, heart in Luke chapter 8, verse 14. And it says, And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Church, a heart that is distracted is a heart that is being choked. A heart that is distracted is a heart where God's truth may be coming in, but your distractions are choking the life out of it. And we cannot live that way. Those weeds, those distractions kill the things that need to grow in us. And now hear me, church. I don't want you to go home or, or go out to the Texican for lunch and say, well, that youth pastor said we ought not to be serving. It's bad for us. That's not what I'm saying at all. Serving and being busy isn't bad. In fact, scripture even tells us that God gives us business to be busy with. And so being busy isn't a bad thing. It, it, Jesus isn't saying that you shouldn't serve, that you shouldn't do things. Just before this passage, he taught about the Good Samaritan, about meeting the needs of others and, and being physically ava available to people. And so it's just like, it isn't a sin to play a sport. It isn't a sin to be in a club or watch TV or have a job. Serving and all of that isn't wrong. But the distraction of it is. When those things distract you and pull you away from loving and worshiping your Savior, that's when it becomes sinful. That's when it becomes wrong. That's when it becomes a problem. And it is wrong when all of those things take you away from your Savior. And yes, church, discipleship and loving the Lord, it does involve serving. If you want to grow in the Lord, you have to go out and serve. You have to love people. You have to meet their needs. But discipleship also involves learning. Discipleship and loving the Lord also involves listening and being quiet so that you can hear the voice of God, so that you can see him move in your life. And when you remove those distractions and the noise going on and instead you place yourself at his feet where you can listen, where you can learn, where you can quiet your soul. So church, what I'm trying to say to you is what Jesus was saying to Martha and what I believe David was trying to say through the 131st Psalm. It's this, slow down. Be quiet. Don't lose perspective in the middle of your craziness and miss the Messiah sitting before you, wel welcoming you, all of you, no matter who you are, no matter what you think you are, to his feet and saying, come and listen. Come take part. So church, please make sure you're spending time with him, sitting at his feet. Come to church like you did today. Come have fellowship with the believers. Come join us for worship and sing praises to his name as you have the opportunity to be led in worship. Man, church, Open up this Bible. Read this word. You have the literal will and word of God right here in front of you, written in ink. How special and amazing is that? Church, spend time in prayer. You have a God that wants to hear from you, 
who wants you to talk to him. The creator of the universe, that God that I mentioned earlier, that breathed out stars, wants to hear from you. He wants you to talk to him. Sit at his feet, church. You have to understand how important that time at his feet is. Mary understood it. I hope you understand too. But maybe you don't. Maybe you don't understand it. Maybe God doesn't always make sense to you. There are plenty of times in, in my walk, even as someone who's been serving in ministry for eight years, even as someone who's been a Christian since they were 12 years old, even as a pastor, where I get confused, where God doesn't always make sense to me, where I don't always get him and understand him. Maybe you struggle with those things that Psalm 131 talks about that are too marvelous or too great for you to understand. Just a moment ago, I said there's never a moment wasted when you spend time with him. And while I do believe that's true, I also know that sometimes we don't always feel that way. I know there are times when you're hearing or reading scripture and you don't get it and you're like, what does this mean? I know there are times where when something happens in your life and you question God and you're like, God, why would you do this? Why would you allow this thing to happen? I know about the times when you're praying and you feel like your prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling where you question, Lord, are you even listening? Are you there? I know that there are days where sleeping in or spending time with family and friends or going to a tournament or an event sound better than going to church. I know there are times where you don't get God. Back in November, um, my grandmother passed away. Her, we all, her name was Wanda, but we all, we all called her Gigi, and I think we have some pictures of Gigi. There, there's little me with my sister, a or Lindsay, no, not Amy, my sister Lindsay, and then my grandmother Gigi there. Um, that's me and Amy with Gigi at our wedding. Um, that was, this, this picture is especially special to me because um, that was one of the last times I got to see Gigi um, before she passed. Um, and then we have a, another picture, and Gigi's there on the left um, with her husband, Bim, and, and my other grandparents there on the right. And I have amazing grandparents. I was crazy blessed by God when he gave me the grandparents he gave me, and I was crazy blessed to know and have a Gigi like I did. Um, she was special. She was a special lady. Um, after she passed, and I, I got to do her funeral, and it was one of the greatest honors of my life. It was incredibly hard. Um, I don't recommend it, um, but it was, it was a huge honor. But after she passed, a few weeks later, my mom was over at Gigi's house, and um, she found this box by her bed with trinkets and pieces of paper and stuff. And in this box were, were these two tickets, these two movie tickets, which they don't, they don't do movie tickets anymore. You, you get a receipt online. But I don't know if you can read that, but that is for Pokemon 2. From the year 2000, these tickets are 23 years old. I, when, when Pokemon 2 was announced, I was so jazzed up. Is there any Pokemon fans in here? Anybody? I, not, not too many. I was all about Pokemon. And my Gigi took me to go see the second Pokemon movie. And man, I feel so bad for her. I feel so bad that she had to suffer through that movie. But I was excited because here's what I knew. 
I knew that Ash Ketchum was going to go to these seven islands where these three legendary birds called Articuno, Moltres, and Zapdos were going to be shooting fire and electricity and ice at them. And there was this lord of the sea who was going to rise up named Lugia, and he was going to quell the fighting of these three birds. And Ash was going to ride Charizard, and he was going to do all these things. And the way you look right now is how my Gigi looked in the movie. Very, very, like, I'm sure she was just sitting there like, what in the world is going on? But I was pumped. I was so excited. I loved that movie. I loved it so much. And it, it means so much to me that those tickets meant that much to her to keep for 23 years, even to the point where she still had them by her bed after she passed away. But church, the thing was, Gigi didn't keep those tickets because she loved Pokemon. Gigi didn't keep those tickets because she understood the plot or had watched the TV show or, or like just loved the character of Ash Ketchum. Gigi kept those tickets because she loved me. Because, because time with her grandson was precious to her. That's why she kept those tickets. Not because she got it, not because she understood the movie, but because she loved me. And church, I'm so thankful that it meant that much to her because I meant that much to her. And I'm so thankful that in that lesson, we can learn how to better love God. Because, church, you don't have to fully get him. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to understand the plot. It's just enough to know him and love him. And so even on those days where, where you feel like maybe you're not getting it right, where you question, Lord, are you there? Are you, are you listening? Why do you teach this? Why are you this way? We can rest like a weaned child in his arms, just knowing that in his presence we are loved and cared for and wanted Time at his feet is never wasted because sometimes that's what love looks like. Sometimes loving someone just means that you don't have to have all the answers. You just have to be with them. Psalm 84, which someone other pastor beat me to. It wasn't even an option to preach on today. Uh, in verse 10 says this, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Church, better is one day in God's courts than a thousand anywhere else. It would be better just to hold the door to his temple, just to get a glimpse inside at his glory than to spend a thousand days in tents of wickedness. Better is one day in his courts than a thousand in a successful job. Better is one day in his courts than a thousand with your trophy wife or trophy husband. Better is one day just sitting at his feet than getting a thousand followers, than winning a thousand games and making a thousand dollars. Better is one day at his feet than a thousand anywhere else because that is how good Jesus is. That is how much he loves you. That is how great because the world's going to say you need this, this, and this, and this to survive. But Jesus says, no, you only need me. These other things can't save your soul. These other things can't feed your soul the way that I do. Time with him is never wasted, church. Those days where you slow down and money and pride and games and people take a back seat for the only thing that is necessary in your life, that will never be wasted time.
So church, I challenge you. I encourage you to quiet your souls. Allow yourself the joy that comes when you prioritize time with your God over everything else. That is where true satisfaction comes from. That is where your soul will be fed. That is where salvation, hope, love, and truth resides in the embrace of our God. I want to end with the, the third verse of Psalm 131. It says this, O Israel, or in this case, I'm going to say, O Fellowship Church, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. You pray with me. God, I thank you. I thank you so much, God, that we, we have you and that you have us. God, that in your arms, in the embrace of your love and your truth, God, that you are there offering us hope. And so, Father, I pray we would hope in you today. That we would put aside all other things and follow you faithfully. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Jaden, for that word. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> so, church, I um, wanted to make an announcement for you and give you an opportunity to pray over the Cedillos. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we sent out a notification uh, to the members of Fellowship Church letting them know that uh, Mr. Cedillo Rudy, our missions pastor, is stepping down from uh, his role as missions pastor, and they him and his wife, Kelly, are, are going to set some time aside to seek the Lord and see what they would have for them, what God would have for them next. And so we want to be able to pray for them as they uh, seek the Lord in this next chapter of their lives. And uh, they have some, a little departing note that they'd like to read to y'all. Good morning. It's always great to see you, and we love you very much. Um, I want to read first the email that went out, because I know some of you didn't get it. Um, but this is what went out a couple weeks ago. After much prayer and confirmation from the Lord, it is with great peace and love that I would like to let you know that effective June 26, I will officially resign, resigning as missions pastor at Fellowship Church at Plum Creek. God has made it clear that I have finished my faithful service at Fellowship. I want you to know that Fellowship Church has been an instrumental part of both my spiritual life and our entire family. Both myself and Kelly have been given many opportunities to serve the people of God in our church, our community, and across the globe. Thank you for your mentorship throughout our 10 plus years. We leave in peace and we leave in love. Many of you are gonna wanna know or have been asking, uh, what are we doing next? And where are we going? And I just want to read you a little short paragraph that will explain what our next few months uh, will look like. Right now, there is not any plans other than praying and resting. We will be asking God to provide for us in every part of our lives during the next few months. All through the Bible, God's people are called to be ready to go where God is leading them. And with those many examples as our guide, we will say yes to what God has envisioned as a next chapter in our lives when it's his time. We will be waiting for him to take the lead on what's next and we will joy joyfully follow him like we are now. We are not moving from Kyle 
and we will be attending another church during this time. But we will ask, as we're not here to, for you to pray for us and asking God to make it clear to us as we wait to hear from him. I want to preface this with saying that what we've written in these, um, on this paper doesn't merely um, express our gratitude, love, and appreciation for everything that you've done for us over the years. And you're worthy of more than just this, but if we didn't write it down, we would just be up here uh, crying. So... <laughs> For the past 15 years, we've worshipped beside you on Sunday mornings. We've spent family camps and youth camps and Bible studies and path groups and mission trips with you. Um, we've shared definitely the highest of our highs and the lowest of our lows with you. The hardest part of all of this about leaving this church is leaving the people like you that we love so dearly. It's been a joy and an honor to share this season of our life with you. I know we're following God's lead. And I am very, very confident in his love and his plan for us. So thank you for allowing us to serve beside you in our church, in our community, and across the globe. And no matter where our feet land, we will always carry you with us in our hearts. And finally, church, I personally can't begin to put into words my gratitude and my appreciation for the entire church. You have allowed me to come to your home and visit you. You have invited me to come and enjoy its occasions. And you've even allowed me to help you in hard times. What a blessing it was to support you in these times. And what a privilege it has been to share the journey of faith with you. You have been a very loving, you have been very loving and wonderful to my beautiful wife Kelly, to my wonderful son Noah, and my amazing daughter Gracie. Thank you for your love and prayers for them. I will always cherish the memories we have made here. As a song that we worship today said, go and scream it from the mountains that he is Lord. Amen. Amen. He is Lord. Uh, Kelly and Rudy, if y'all can go down there, we'd love to, to pray over you. Philippians 4.18 uh, actually, 4.8 reminds us that finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So, church, if you would like to come and pray here or you can stay at your seat, we're going to just pray over them and send them off with that reminder. Uh, we're just so blessed to have been able to serve alongside Rudy and Kelly. They've done an amazing work for the kingdom, and they're going to continue to do that. We have confidence in knowing that, uh, but we trust God with the decision that they have made, and uh, we're not going to question the Lord on that. Father in heaven, we thank you for the body of Christ, and I love that no matter um, where we go, because your spirit indwells us, we will always be one in you. And so, Father, we send Rudy and Kelly off with a spirit of blessing them to be able to hear your voice and to know what you would have for them next. And we're excited, though uh, there's, it's bittersweet, Lord. We are excited in trusting you and seeing what you're going to do through them. So we just pray that you would keep them in your loving arms, them and their family. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Thank you, church. Thank you, church. Go and be with the Lord. Have a blessed week.